Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live, online, interactive, monthly magazine for hams, homebrewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains of this universe. My name is George, N2APB, and I am a co-host here along with Joe, N2CX, and we're going to be guiding discussion for the next hour or so, usually a little bit more, here in our first session for the uh, calendar year 2015. Amazing. We had a little bit of a uh, off-the-air time as both Joe and I were kind of recovering from our respective uh, illnesses. I think we're well on the road to recovery and ready to start this up again. So we are really excited to be here again. Joe, why don't you welcome us back and, you know, we can start just going through some of those things in the recap section, but I wanted to give you a chance to, oh, uh, personally, I wanted to welcome you back and I uh, hope that you're on the road to recovery and uh, um, get you back in the main, uh, mainstream of things here. Very good, George. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to be back here. Uh, glad we were able to be in uh, shape to uh, restart this session. I really do enjoy it. Uh, we have a lot of a lot of fun, spread a lot of info, and uh, in addition to the people who have the uh, freedom to uh, listen live, there are a number of others, probably many more than uh, do listen live, who are in another time zone or, or work during this session or whatever. Uh, it's always good to know that they listen to the podcasts. And they do provide feedback to tell us that they enjoy it. Yeah, what's out there? Cool. Um, <laughs> all kinds of things. Why do we do this? At Scale Elmering. As I mentioned, we enjoy doing this because we provide lots of info to people, or we think we do, and feedback says we do, on a number of different topics in uh, ham radio, in QRPing, and in homebrew to uh, give people a, a wide variety of uh, topics for, of interest, uh, things they may not have been exposed to, and to provide to them a number of links um, and some reference material so that uh, they can expand the horizon, so to speak. And um, it is interactive. While we're doing the sessions, we encourage people to uh, ask us questions as we go along so that we can provide instant feedback and uh, be sure that people understand it. Let me throw it back to George for a recap of past episodes. We've done a number of them. Off the top of my head, I can only think of half a dozen. Go ahead, George. Oh, thanks, Joe. I wanted to mention about the at-scale mentoring. It's so very important, I think, and I think it's one of the really key elements that this program brings. It's a unique aspect that we bring to uh, not just the QRP and homebrewing, but to a lot of ham radio. It's a live, interactive audio and visual session that we have. My day job, I'm into STEM education and mentoring. Mentoring is such an important aspect. We call it Elmering, of course, here in uh, the ham radio world, and um, when we mentor students or Elmer ham radio students along here it's so helpful and I think every single one of us have had a mentor along the way I'm proud to say that Joe has been my mentor my in the last couple of decades of my life right here and without his able assistance and patient guiding I would not be able to do the things that I really enjoy doing today so we like to try to spread that around as much as we can and this is one way of doing it other ways are publications other ways are running list serves and so on but this is a fun interactive way We've got a lot of Fun in the last. This is episode number 71. Previously, we've done 70 episodes of this uh, on a schedule that sort of started off aggressively as once a week, then we dropped back to twice uh, twice a month, and we're doing it at once a month right now just to kind of get back into the swing of things. But we have a lot of good material. If you go to our homepage, I won't have time to recap it even in, in part. But go to our homepage, cwtd.org, and then you'll, uh, down at the lower part of the, uh, of the page, you see a recap of every single episode that we have. 
And ultimately, you see the whiteboard link and a link to the podcast for almost all of the episodes. And I think you'll find something in all of that material there that might be of interest to you, whether it's grounding principles, antennas, favorite antennas, fireside chats, Christmas list discussions, you know, favorite things that you have on your Christmas list. We have a lot of fun in this program. There's a, a popular Analyze This, kind of an offtake of the uh, Robert De Niro and Billy Crystal movie Analyze This. And uh, But we bring different designs of gadgets, radios, circuits to the, to the pages here at Chat with the Designers, and we go through it step by step by step, kind of explaining how it works and why it works. Maybe an important item here to mention, and is not we don't want to scare people off from the standpoint of you thinking that, oh my gosh, this is way too complex or beyond me. We are purposefully trying to keep it at a high level, but still get enough meat that will interest even the technoids among us, and then we can explore later on. Joe and I provide, and, and Dave this time too, provided some really great material that we really like to um, have residing in the whiteboard, such that you can go to these whiteboards in future days, weeks, and months on a given topic and use this almost as a technical reference resource. And uh, we have good links and references and discussions and charts and costs of some of the things that are purchasable and uh, on the market and whatnot. You can really, I think, find a lot of use in that. But we try to keep it high level. Sometimes we might come to a complex diagram or mention a, um, or point out a, a, a um, an equation. Have the faith that we're not going to go into the derivation of the trigonometric relationships in that, uh, in that uh, equation. However, also rest assured that it does relate to the things that we all do every single day here on the bench and on the radio. So that's that's the main thing. So we, that's the kind of the, the benefit or the value that we like to see as being given to or being available to those who attend live with us and attend um, on the podcast and listen along in the podcast. As Joe mentioned, there are a lot more than uh, listeners in the podcast, and there are those who actually uh, sign in, at least so far. All right, thanks. You know, it's been so long that I've been away from TeamSpeak and from the Chat with Designers sessions that <laughs> I forgot I had to hold down the push-to-talk key that it wasn't a toggle mode. Um, but, you know, I just want to thank and welcome back you, George, uh, Dave tonight with us. And I see a lot of uh, very familiar call signs in the list here and, and some that I'm not familiar with. But, but just to echo your comments that, you know, this is a great forum and it's all about participation. A lot of people listen in and absorb and that's wonderful. Um, when we get a lot of people uh, uh, joining in and, and asking questions at uh, points that, you know, they're, they're not sure they're, they're grasping what's going on or, or there's, there's a key question, you know, that's important too. And I apologize. I joined a couple of minutes late because it's been so long since this laptop was turned on. It had a number of Windows updates to do uh, before I was able to rejoin the session. So, uh, again, I just wanted to uh, jump in and say it's been a long time since I've been able to enjoy these sessions, but I always have when I've been able to. I've been away for a number of years, and I know you guys stopped for a while, but I just wanted to welcome back uh, uh, Joe and, and George, and uh, in this case, Dave, and uh, looking forward to uh, tonight's content. So, uh, very good, gentlemen. Good to have you all back, and that's it. Back to you, George. Oh, thanks a lot, uh, Bruce. Really appreciate your joining us and your words. Um, Bruce, you mentioned something I forgot to mention here. Uh, Dave is with us. Dave is um, AD7JT. Dave is what we call, besides a good guy, Dave is a guest designer. As the name of the uh, this session is titled, uh, implies, uh, Chat with the Designers, Joe designs, I design stuff. Uh, many of us here design different things for different groups. And What we'd like to do here is to talk about designs, but what makes it really, really cool 
cool is that we like to have a guest designer with us from time to time. And that's exactly what uh, Dave is here for uh, tonight. And we'll get a chance uh, in just a few minutes to have Dave kind of take the mic uh, and uh, Joe and I will interact with him. But pretty much Dave's going to guide us through one of his designs that just happens to be in the theme of what our discussion is tonight for the Scalar Network Analyzer. So that's that's the way we run things. We have um, oh we have a bunch of things planned for this year. Joe, do you want to mention maybe just one, and that's the Elmer 101 session uh, with a uh, with a small wonder uh, with the SW40 uh, coming up um, starting next time that we meet. Sure, glad to. Yeah, that that's going to be a fun uh, fun thing. I built one of the uh, SW40s way back when. In fact, it's somewhere buried in my pile of stuff. But the idea is that uh, Dave Benson. Um, K1SWL has uh, designed a number of radios, some very simple but very uh, powerful and uh, very good radios over the years. Uh, among them was the uh, SW, the uh, Small Wonder um, series. And the Elmer 101 is uh, um, something that was done uh, by others in the past to uh, talk a number of people through building one of the uh, SW40, the uh, Small Wonder 40 Plus radios, to provide uh, technical backup, uh, list uh, parts sources, and um, reference material and help to those who were who were having uh, some questions about it. Well, we're reviving it and trying to uh, trying to pump some life back into it to uh, um, to help the community to further home brewing and to let. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, to let, uh, I'm just chuckling at uh, Bruce's comments on uh, Dave Benson. Uh, we want to help people um, homebrew and uh, debug what they're doing and uh, get some value out of it. And the um, the uh, Elmer 101 project is uh, something, as I say, we're reviving to, uh, to try to provide that so that uh, we'll have live sessions here as well as the backup material um, over the space of uh, several programs and to uh, to provide the material to uh, to folks who may not have been exposed to it before. Um, back to you, George. Well, fine business, Joe, and that's so right. Is uh, We're going to have a lot of fun with the Elmer 101. There is tons, tons of great material that others have very graciously contributed to the, uh, call it the open domain or public domain or whatever, uh, their own interpretations of some of the diagrams and the explanations, and there must be at least three or four really good uh, uh, renditions of the manual, if you will, for step-by-step -step, um, analysis and build-up of the SW40. Um, the good news, and frankly, I'm not sure that you mentioned this, Joe, but we are also reviving the kit um, with the permission and semi-involvement of Dave Benson, K1SWL, now retired, of course, um, from Small Wonder Labs. Uh, Dave gave us permission and, and the Gerbers, and, and we're going to make the uh, Small Wonder, uh, the SW40 Plus kit. It's called the SW40 Plus uh, transceiver kit. Um, available, and uh, we are going to build it stage by stage here on Chat in successive weeks or successive episodes of Chat with the Designers. So if you have ever wanted to build a kit and have a step-by-step -step guidance uh, as far as like how to do it, what the best order is, uh, what signals to expect once you build up a subsection, and, and all that material is available in written form, but it's so much uh, more enjoyable to kind of have a, an Elmer looking over your shoulder, or in this case here, an Elmer sitting inside your, your computer screen and uh, able to ask questions uh, interactively as you're, as you're doing that. And by the way, uh, some feedback that we received uh, about the SW. 40, they suggested, and I guess we're open for suggestions here too, they said, hey, why don't you do the SW30 plus? 
And uh, as it turns out, that's the one that I built up, Joe. So maybe Joe, you and I and anybody else that might like to participate can look to see, you know, what uh, obviously makes what makes the SW30 uh, different from the 40 besides some of the obvious. And we might even consider doing that or specifying it along the way if you wanted to build a 30-meter a version of this 40-meter transceiver. What do you think about that, Joe? I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I, I have enough 40-meter rigs, but I don't have enough 30-meter rigs. I think it would be a very good idea to uh, to do the delta in parts, which would be primarily um, just some um, different windings on the toroids and some uh, crystals, different crystals, as I recall. Uh, maybe not even crystals. It might just be uh, different VFO frequency and, of course, different tuning for the front end. Um, I think that's a great idea and uh, one that I'll certainly hop on as well. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be kind of fun. Um, just from that perspective, what does it take to turn a thirty a forty meter transceiver into a thirty meter transceiver? Well, you got to have a different uh, maybe a different LO or a different range or maybe invert the frequency um, movement when you turn the front uh, when you turn the dial. Or because remember this is a super hat. This is not a the SW40 is not a um, direct conversion receiver. Not as many of us have super hats around as we have direct conversion receivers. But uh, so that might be kind of a good exercise. All right, let's move along because we do want to keep this to we we always say keep it to an hour, but it always ends up being about an hour and fifteen. Nonetheless, we'll try to to, to keep things on schedule. The next session, uh, the next section that we're uh, going to cover here in the uh, in the whiteboard is uh, what's new out there. We put a, uh, the cart a little bit before the horse. Normally we do this at the end. We used to do this at the end of the program. A kind of a recap of some cool kits that have just hit the market that we can talk about briefly. Just mention them, of course, and then provide the link references here on the webpage in the whiteboard. Um, some new uh, products that might have, might be announced by MFJ or Elecraft or anything. Um, some new things, uh, new a uh, new uh, Gosh, Joe, we've done new devices that have come out from analog devices, I think, once, and some uh, a little mixer or something. Uh, but this is a chance to kind of, um, for us to mention some new things that are happening. With uh, with that in mind, and as a precursor to that, I, I put, uh, we constructed a presentation roundup. And it just, as it turns out, both Joe and myself and Dave and different combinations of us throughout the year so far are going to be speaking at different uh, venues, uh, whether it's OzarkCon or Tapper's uh, DCC or the VHF conference uh, run by Al Katz, the famous Al Katz K2, uh, K2, uh, what is it, Joe? UIH. K2UIH. He's been in QST as, as the premier VHFer and designer and also a professor at the University of Trenton. Uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, College of New Jersey um, in Trenton, New Jersey. Great guy. And he runs a, an annual VHF conference. Great for homebrewing if you're into uh, VHF homebrewing. And uh, I'll be speaking there at, uh, later on in the year. And Oh, golly, there's so much happening. We just wanted to kind of get this out and kind of uh, get it on your calendar if you happen to be in the area. But the other, um, the, the, the main topic here for the what's new section is the different analyzers that we were able to just kind of pull together and, and uh, list. And Joe and I are going to take turns. Actually, well, let's start wrapping. Dave, if Dave, if you're familiar with any of these here, 
um, let's start interacting um, and tossing it back and forth. We wanted to keep within the theme of the scalar network analyzer and um, the, the part that's before the horse, or not the card, the, the, the card is before the horse because we're going to be talking about the analyzers before we talk about what an analyzer does. But in a very, nut, in a very simple nutshell, an analyzer provides a stimulus to a circuit under test or a device under test, a DUT, and it measures the signal coming out of the DUT, ultimately characterizing that DUTs, that circuit, that crystal, that, that, that LPF, uh, the performance of it, such that we have a better feel for how that device will perform inside another circuit someplace else. So the devices on the market that, uh, um, that are able to do this that are pretty darn cool now, let me start it off. Um, um, let's see, I my buddy Ken is not with us. Darn, I was hoping that Ken, um, Ken Siren could be with us. Um, the SARC 110, the SARK 110, is an amazingly um, useful antenna analyzer. I just dialed down a little bit on my screen so I could see it. This thing, even though it's a big picture, it fits so easily. It, it's like, a, oh golly, it, I'm looking at it right now. It's like, a, I don't smoke, but it's about half the pack, half the width, half the height, half the thickness of a pack of cigarettes. And a, a nice colorful display there. It's got more functions than one can shake a stick at. I've had mine for maybe five months now, and I'm still encountering new features on how to use it. They're all listed there, um, and it's a, it's, it's a really nice device. And again, it, um, it's a scalar, and we'll mention the difference between scalar and vector in a moment, but it's a scalar device in which it puts out a signal, and it's able to measure the response being reflected back to it. Um, it's also able to act as a signal source if you wanted to um, have it serve in that particular fashion. But this is a really, really, I am just enamored with it. I think Joe likes it too. A little hard to get in the U.S. because of whatever uh, Joe will mention Joe that in a moment. Um, Bruce, go ahead. Yeah, no, I just, <clears throat> excuse me, just wanted to mention, George, that the SARC 110 is actually now available in the United States. It's uh, it, They've arranged uh, some sort of a licensing agreement, and it is being sold by STEP-IR. Um, I had to do a little quick uh, Google search here because I thought I had read the announcement about DX Engineering, but in fact, uh, a stepper, STEP-IR, is now selling it in the U.S. at a slightly higher price, about uh, $390 compared to the 360 that it was available. I had an opportunity to obtain those just before LobsterCon last year. One of my uh, friends from Canada offered to buy it from the uh, European distributor, have it shipped up there, and then he would he would bring it down to the uh, the U.S. for me. Uh, at the time, I quite frankly had too many uh, pieces of, of test equipment that duplicated it. But I'll just echo your comments that it, uh, even though I, I've not yet touched one and played with one, I am impressed with the uh, the capabilities in a small standalone package as opposed to one that hooks up to the uh, the uh, laptop. I have the uh, the mini VNA, the original version. I've had that for a number of years, and I believe I, uh, I utilized that in a discussion of uh, uh, designing and tweaking low-pass filters at uh, MassCon, the, the one QRP conference we had in uh, Massachusetts. I know both you and uh, uh, Joe were in attendance at that. But uh, just did want to mention that even though the chat with the designers um, uh, uh, info page does mention that it's not available in the U.S. due to licensing issues. It is, in fact, interested in the U or rather uh, available in the U.S. for those who may be interested from uh, Step IR, and you can go to their website for uh, for the details. Carry on, George. Thank you. 
That's outstanding news, Bruce. And thank you. That's that's the winner piece of information for tonight, at least from my perspective. The other piece of winner information is what we're going to be talking about from Dave, uh, 87JT, uh, the SNA that uh, that he's designed. But that about the... Uh, about the uh, the SARC is just great news, and if anybody has ever been interested in that, check it out. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I will just also mention that although I brought that up, I don't want to necessarily steer people towards the commercial project. I have a um, uh, the SNA project in its in its current form. I have the uh, uh, the terminal unit and the uh, the SNA. Uh, 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 boards and, and so forth uh, that uh, were originally uh, produced by N5IB. So I'm looking forward to tonight's um, uh, uh, discussion. I, I thought I would build them over the winter, but I've been too busy shoveling snow and <laughs> have not got them built up. So I'm very, very interested in uh, in hearing about the uh, the evolution of the uh, the SNA, the, the handheld version with the graphical display. I have all the parts here on board from uh, Midnight Designs. I'm looking forward to put them together, but as we always say, when that quote-unquote free time comes available. So uh, thank you again, George uh, and Dave, for uh, all your efforts on this, and Joe, of course, and uh, just wanted to toss that out there about the SARC 110 that that is now available in the U.S. So thanks again. Back to you. Oh, you bet, Bruce. And uh, that actually, I think that's the real key of uh, the real the winner for this, this presentation and for everybody's attendance here. Is that you'll see that uh, um, that the SNA, which grew out of the uh, the PHSNA group, um, the and, and all of the the brainchilds and, and that activity for uh, getting us started in the SNA direction, there's a real winner piece of information yet to be announced here tonight, as far as the uh, the availability of the SNA board and um, without having to do some of those upgrades. Um, Joe, do you want to mention just a few? We ought to move it along, but just uh, mention and maybe in comparison the FM the MFJ unit that you were personally researching a little bit. Indeed, thank you. Yeah, uh, with the unavailability of the uh, of the SARC, and I thank you very much for that uh, piece of news, uh, uh, Bruce. That uh, Stepper is going to make it available. I just checked online; it says it's available for pre pre sale or pre order. So apparently, it will be available soon. But anyway, I was looking at other options, particularly something that uh, is a little more powerful than uh, the ordinary antenna analyzers, um, something that would uh, have a graphical function on it, as well as being able to uh, display uh, um, frequency and, and to uh, do different uh, um, frequency scans um, in a portable handheld unit. The MFJ became uh, apparent. George mentioned it to me. So I looked it up, and it, it is a, uh, a similar device, although it claims to be also a, uh, a mini VNA, uh, so that you can use these uh, either as a handheld graphical device to analyze antennas in the field, or you can hook it up to a computer at home and use it as a vector network analyzer. Um, it has a lot of the same functions. I'm disappointed that um, in two things. Number one, it seems to have a limited um, limited spec set. It's not as capable as the uh, as the SARC. Number two, its maximum frequency resolution is a kilohertz. So if you're trying to look at something like a magnetic loop, um, you'll be limited because they're very narrow band. Number three, and the thing that really killed it for me, is that it um, it uses a wideband detector. Uh, one of my issues in the southern New Jersey area where I live is that there are a number of AM broadcast stations near me, and um, they wipe out the simple 
um, simple network or simple antenna analyzers that use broadband detectors because there's just so much RF. I have um, hundreds of millivolts of RF from uh, an AM broadcast station at 610 kilohertz and another one at 800 kilohertz, which uh, which make measurements uh, on real antennas difficult. That said, the MFJ is a um, an interesting alternative. For those who uh, who don't have the conditions I uh, I have, would be a very simple uh, simple thing to fill both the portable and the uh, at home needs to uh, do some sophisticated uh, antenna and uh, network uh, measurements. Very good piece. It's about comparable in price. If you get it from MFJ, it's two hundred fifty nine dollars. You can buy it from HRO for a little bit more. It's in the same ballpark price wise and um, could be of interest. Uh, for others interested who uh, don't want to wait for the uh, SARC. Back to you, George. Oh, indeed. N- nice brief analysis of that, Joe. And like um, like you said, I think there's a device for everybody along the way. And at any given time, you know, an instrument, even though it has, and every every instrument has limitations. A uh, limitation, for example, since I use it, um, <laughs> my eyes are getting old. It's a little difficult sometimes to see the small screen of the SARC. But nonetheless, wear my glasses, it's, wor- it's well worth it. Every device has positives and every device has negatives. And maybe that, uh, maybe the FM- MFJ or the, the next device down on our list here. We won't go into the details of these last two just because of time. The U-Kits and also the Mini Vini, the mini VNA, um, they each have niches and very much in a, a clever marketing way. Um, there, are, there are a few devices that directly overlap in every single feature and capability because, again, um, some features are important to a certain market segment and you want to address that and maybe differentiate your product from from another one. So if you, if you really like connecting to the PC, I think the mini VNA um, is the only way to, that's the only way to operate that. Uh, is it not, uh, Bruce? Uh, yes, it is. I actually have the original mini VNA. There's now the mini VNA Pro and the tiny mini VNA, but they don't have any displays of their own. They generally hook up via USB or with some modification via Bluetooth to either a uh, laptop or they're now Android applications that you can run off of the uh, off of an Android tablet. But I will just echo kind of what George said. Uh, he happened to mention about the MFJ, and it's not specific to that. Any of these antenna analyzers that use a relatively low output from a, uh, a DDS or other type of signal source where you're you're dealing with, you know, a, a millivolt sent, or, or rather a, a milliwatt sent to the antenna or, or you know, a, a few dB above that or below that. I happen to be in a situation here where I also have an AM broadcast station that's uh, within about half a mile from my house. It's uh, 5 kilowatts during the day, and it goes down to 5 or 10 kilowatts at night. I remember the first time I hooked up the mini VNA and I was doing a plot of my 160-meter uh, at the time inverted L, and uh, looking at that during the day, and I could see the uh, the spectrum just dancing all over the place when, in fact, what it was was uh, dancing in time to the modulation of the local AM radio station broadcasting the uh, Red Sox game. And uh, that's just something to keep in mind is that sometimes, you know, if you have a uh, a local AM broadcast station in line or, or nearby, that can, uh, that can affect you. Uh, if they're at higher power, because again, remember, we're sending a relatively small amount out to the device under test, in this case, the antenna, and we're, uh, we're sort of listening or tasting the reflections that come back. And if you've got uh, microvolts or even millivolts coming back from a local, uh, 
uh, broadcaster that can skew the reading. So in some cases, I've waited until nighttime to take my measurements. In other cases, I've actually installed a uh, small low-pass filter in line to uh, block out the broadcast band transmissions from the AM transmitter that was nearby. So again, understanding your test equipment and, and what it does and what its capabilities are are, uh, are important, but uh, these are all very useful tools. Back to you, George. Boy, can't underscore more um, um, about what you just said there, Bruce. It's, it's uh, very good. The knowing your equipment, knowing the limitations, knowing the proper usage of it uh, is, is so important, not just to making the right measurements, but being able to extract and use the capabilities of a given instrument. Um, sometime when we have more time or when, when the interest might come up, um, I'd like to be talking about test instruments that one can have on the bench and build up and use kind of a whole array. Um, if anybody would ever bump into my QRZ webpage, you'll see a panoramic view of the test equipment that I've accumulated along the way. And I've, uh, I've really grown fond of, of, of collecting the, uh, and using the instruments uh, because each one provides all sorts of different kind of insight about uh, circuits, components, signals, and uh, right from audio all the way up into, uh, I don't go to UHF, but into the VHF area. Looking down on the page, I, I messed something up. I put, if you, if you dial down a little bit on the whiteboard, you'll ultimately see two instruments from HP or, or Agilent, or actually one from Agilent and another one from Gigatronics. I tossed those in there um, as scalar network analyzers that are professional units. So far, we've been talking about things on the experimenters, the homebrewers type of market in the sub uh, sub $500 range. Um, HP, now Agilent, uh, and some others make some really fine equipment uh, for scalar network analysis that does very much like what we're talking about here, but in a better, in a better controlled manner. Um, I, I toss it on there just as, as a little bit of a giggles is, is because not many of us have the kind of equipment that, that this represents. But if you ever have a chance to come across some of it, and especially, um, I'll put in a plug here for the VNA, um, the HP 80, oh man, I don't even know, 8753C that I have, uh, which is an HP a VNA. It's like super, use, uh, so, super useful, and it's great for comparative measurements uh, on the bench when it comes time to working on Dave with his SNA and, and some other things. But there's some really good equipment out there in a the used market that, even though it looks expensive, it's, 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 they're coming down in price. It's old, but uh, more often than not, it works well enough for us. We're going to take a break here and um, maybe offer some questions before we launch into the uh, uh, discussing, having Dave discuss the SNA kit. Um, in the SNA design, the evolution from the NAT to the SNA. But before we do that, um, I'll give anybody a chance to, to speak up and make a comment or two. Well, well we've either dazzled them with brilliance or baffled them with... Yeah, with what is right. Okay, so let's, uh, let's do that. Um, Dave, if you're, let me give you just a little uh, intro here, maybe about, uh, oh golly, two years ago, Jim can pipe in as well, uh, when uh, uh, Jim, N5IB, and, and Jack, and, uh, oh, I, I forgot some of the others, started working on the, PH, uh, the PHSNA, and we actually talked about it one time here on Chat with the Designers last year or a year and a half ago, uh, the Poor Hams uh, scalar Network Analyzer. Uh, Dave and I kind of uh, spotted an opportunity to have a handheld uh, terminal, if you will, 
call it a network analyzer or a network analyzing terminal, NAT, and uh, as an accessory to the PHSNA project. And it turned out pretty good, at least for the purposes that we had intended. However, there's no keeping a good man down, a good designer down. And Dave just kept on adding feature after feature after feature and really extolling the use of the a beautiful QVGA, um, a graphic color graphic display, a large, pretty large one, all things considered, 3.2 inches, I think, with a touch panel on it. And then, then, he, then Dave turned to me, and from a packaging perspective and a hardware layout, and he said, man, I could do some wonders with this. So anyways, I don't want to steal Dave's thunder, but the evolution from the original NAT, the network analyzing terminal that plugged into the PSHNA, to be a standalone SNA is a really interesting story, and it's ended up in being a very, very cool product unto its own. But Dave, um, why don't we turn it over to you here, and, and thank you very much for being with us here for this session here of Chat with the Designers. And um, um, personally, I, I, I've been enjoying the heck out of working along with this project with you, and, and I'm learning new things all the time, and there's just no holding you down for software feature development. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, thanks, George. Uh, everybody hear me okay? Yeah, you're good. Good. I heard enough echoes there. I think you can all hear me. Uh, okay, I you didn't give me much time left, George, but I'll uh, try to do what I can. Oh, Dave. Dave. Yeah, Dave, um, you can take it for the original 30 minutes that we had talked. So take it to 9.15 and space it out that way if you wanted. I think that's what we had planned anyways. 9.15, that'll be good because it's a quarter to six here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, anyway, we'll get started. Uh, for those of you that aren't familiar of the, uh, the, the PHSNA, the Poor Ham Scalar Network, um, which has been a great project and has a lot of followers online, uh, the, the second uh, picture we got here shows the basic uh, architecture, if you would. Uh, the original design had a, uh, a PC in where I've got the terminal shown. And then you have the Arduino-based controller, which has either a, a Arduino Uno, Uno or a uh, Nano in it. It, in turn, uh, controls a digitally controlled signal generator, which is either an AD9850 or 51. The difference there is the 50 is good for up to about 30 megahertz, 51 up to about 60. It gener it's a digitally controlled signal generator, and the RF that it generates goes into the device under test. And there's usually an output to the device under test, picture a, a filter, that's the easiest one to visualize. And that then goes into a logarithmic RF power meter, which is based on the 808307, which has been kind of a godsend, I think, at, at, for doing this sort of thing. The output is an analog level that is related to, is really a function of the power in the, uh, in the input to the, the uh, power meter. The Arduino-based controller then... Uh, has an uh, A to D input that it analyzes and determines the power. It knows the power of the signal coming out. There's a calibration sequence you go through, and it gives you the difference. Uh, the terminal, in this case the NAT, but a PC does the same thing, essentially uh, provides the parameters for the scan, the frequency range, if you would, and um, the, the number of steps, and all that sort of thing, and then it receives the output. The uh, Arduino processor is kind of short on memory, so it, it can't store and buffer anything, but it uh, sends all that off to the terminal. Then the, the terminal, in the case of the original PHSNA design, was a PC running a, like a terminal. Um, the one mode was running a terminal emulator. And so you would capture the data there and then uh, cut and paste the data into another application like Excel. Uh, there's another mode it could operate in. Uh, it was really, really clever because they picked up on a a uh, Visual Basic uh, macro for Excel. 
that allowed a device to access cells in the spreadsheet, in an Excel spreadsheet, via one of the ports on the PC. And so then they designed, or defined, I should say, certain cells to control the parameters controlling the span, and then the, uh, the firmware in the Adreno-based controller could uh, access these cells, know what to do, Got to keep your finger there on the uh, on the thing, Dave. But ultimately, I think if I, let me try to understand this uh, or explain this slide and and kind of at the high level. Um, on the right side, you see the DDS generator, the digitally controlled signal generator. It generates a single and signal and it squirts that RF signal into the device under test. Call it a low pass filter. Just a, you know, a combination of L's and C's that we're all familiar with. And then coming out of that low-pass filter, we take that RF signal, and it's measured by the log amp on the left-hand side, the log detector. And the output of the log detector is the power level that the, the Arduino in the center is able to compute uh, the difference, essentially, between the input of the device under test and the output, and ultimately characterize that particular device. The NAT, up on top in yellow, is the uh, the equivalent of the PC. Ultimately, Dave and I wanted to say, hey, we don't need no stinking computer, which is kind of a tagline elsewhere, um, because uh, it's maybe kind of a nicer, easier application sometimes if you can have the graphic display in your hand instead of needing to connect into a computer. But that was the genesis of, of, the, uh, of the NAT as connected with the PHSNA. Dave, are you still connected, or did you, did you drop over? No, I'm, I'm here. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, you stopped mid-sentence, uh, so I just thought I'd wrap up this slide. But why don't we continue on to the second one? I suspect that there's a, a timeout here that if I hold it down too long, it quits, so I'll have to jiggle it every once in a while. Okay, the next slide shows the, what the, uh, the NAT, we call it NAT, Network Analyzer Terminal, looks like this one actually is something in between the NAT and the SNA. Uh, the NAT didn't have the two um, BNC connectors at the top. Uh, and, every, and everything was done via the serial interface talking to the PH uh, SNA firmware. Um, the features, I won't go through all the features here. Um, you can scan them and look at them. It's, it's fairly small, you know, it's like uh, four and a half inches by three and a three eighths inches um, and like, like 1.4 inches thick. So it's, it's fairly small handheld device. Uh, we'd like to point out a couple things here though. The, uh, it lists the data rates at 1.2 to 19.2 kilobaud. The original PHSNA ran at 9.6. We actually run at 38.4. The NAT's capable of going up to over 115 kilobits. Uh, I'm not sure how far the uh, Arduino processors could go, but at, we discovered at 38.4 that the, the transfer across that interface was not the limiting factor. Second thing, like Sean, we list the power at 12 volts DC. That's a maximum for the thing. It will operate with a 9-volt battery plugged into it. In fact, it operates quite well until it gets down to around 7 volts, and then some of the, I think some of the, the, uh, the ceiling on some of the voltage regulators start to cave in and things get a little funny. But so it, it's very handy to just plug a 9-volt battery into it and carry it. Okay. The heart of this thing is... Uh, is, is the in the next the next slide here the uh, the DS the, the display module which I discovered you know, I guess it's been about two years ago now on eBay for under twenty bucks at that time and there's lots of suppliers it's still there and there's still lots of suppliers it's a quarter VGA which is 240 by 320 pixels 16 bit color which gives you 64k different colors and like George mentioned earlier it's a 3.2 inch LCD. It has the uh, display controller built into it, has a resistive touch screen with the controller on it, 
there's also an SD card socket. And if you look down here at the pictures in the back of the, of the, of the uh, board, the, the, the IC you see there is the touchscreen. Right above that is a touchscreen controller, I should say. Right above that is uh, all the pads and whatnot for a serial double EEPROM. And, and we put a 32 kilobyte double EEPROM in there for storing operating parameters and macros and things like that. And then it, it interfaces with the rest of the system over a 40-pin uh, connector, which is shown there. And there are still several several sources for this thing on there. On the. Oh, you timed out again, Dave. I think that timeout thing just went. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Okay. I, I don't get an indication on that anyway. I'll just have to let up per periodically. Anyway, the 40-pin connector to the rest of the world, the uh, double the EEPROM and the touchscreen controller and the SD, uh, SD card interface are all on the SPI serial interface, serial peripheral interface, which is three wires plus one chip select for each device. Yeah, the yeah. thing that really kind of made it really attractive to us, I think, too, Dave, was the fact that it, what you're looking at there is your user I.O. It's your, it's a great uh, display, of course, full controller of what you can display and from text to graphics to actual images. And the, um, it's got the touch panel input such that if you can put soft switches or areas of the screen that you would touch as much as you would touch a push button on a radio, um, you can affect the same control um, in, a, in a pretty easy way, in a programmatic way. And it's got storage um, both in two ways. On the back, as you mentioned, with the e, uh, the double EEPROM um, as well as an SD card that is removable. And if you structure the uh, uh, the enclosure right, you can remove it uh, without opening up the case, and it's just really, really handy. So that, in essence, kind of becomes the front panel, or it could become the front panel for many different kinds of instruments. We might see something like that kind of coming along in the future in different uh, areas, as I think us designers just have the wheels turning all the time, uh, save on switches, save on user I.O., and as you said, just have to talk to with, the, uh, uh, with an SPI type of interface. Just a couple of lines can go there and talk to your to your memory, and uh, the way that uh, you've arranged it with the, uh, the architecture that you, if you could launch into the block diagram below, you have a micro microcontroller, a disk pick, that essentially contains a lot of primitives, a lot of capabilities for drawing, for handling I.O., and it makes it really nice as a designer's uh, drop-in module. Yeah, right. The uh, the display assembly is kind of a, a universal collection of peripherals that, like you said, could be used on several projects. Uh, the block diagram shows how we married it with the uh, with a DSPIC processor, a microcontroller. Um, at the time I was prototyping this, I didn't want to mess with surface mount devices, so I took the biggest package I could, which is a 28-pin package, with the uh, the biggest processor I could, which was 40 MIPS, that's million instructions per second, uh, with 128 kilobyte flash. That, that's about 44. Uh, 44,000 instructions and a 16 kilobit RAM, and then it has all these other peripherals in there. These are the ones we use. There are additional ones in there that we don't use. And to save pins, I've got this demultiplexer that essentially lets us interface a 16-bit a parallel interface, which requires 17 pins. You know, there's the data plus the strobe. Uh, with only uh, seven pins, so save 10 pins there so we could fit everything within the 21 I.O. pins. And then we also put the PS2 keyboard interface, which works with the USB to PS2 converter, plus the serial interface, just a simple one, receive, transmit. Uh, the in-circuit debugger is in there, although we've got the, uh, the the firmware includes a bootloader that will load from the SD card, so you can change the firmware from the SD card. 
Um, and then there's this uh, a speaker for making, I call it the noise maker. Uh, it's just an alert when, when there's something uh, that the operator has to pay attention to. Anyway, that's, that's the basic layout for the system. Uh, detailed schematic and whatnot is on the, on the website. On the next one, we show basically how, it, how, the, uh, how the unit works. Uh, with PHSNA in what we call menu mode, there's, there's a couple modes that we operate in. Menu mode is, uh, is the most basic mode. In this case, the, uh, the NAT, we call at this level it's the NAT, uh, it tends to, uh, all, all it does is react to menus generated by the, uh, uh, by the PHSNA firmware, firmware with, with guidance from the operator, if you would. This shows the basic main menu uh, that's generated by the PHSNA. This is not quite the standard PHSNA firmware. I modified it because the uh, the, uh, the the basic or the, the original firmware uh, assumes a, uh, a terminal emulator with an 80-column screen, and we've only got a 30-column screen. So I shortened everything so it comes out and looks right. I also did some things to avoid scrolling. There's a we do have a command that will clear the screen so that rather than scroll things out like the original firmware does, this will clear it and then reload it. In this particular case, we're doing a scan of a 40-meter um, low-pass filter, and we're going to choose the first item here, which is the SNA functions. We do that by keying a 1 in. Um, then you go into a, a series of prompts where you enter in the starting and ending frequency and then the step. In the in the NAT, the blue area is illustrating the stuff that uh, is being received over the serial interface. Up on the input line, you key in the response, something can be transmitted, but it isn't transmitted until you hit the uh, the enter key. And prior to that, you can edit and do whatever you want. At this point here, we you see we were doing a, a trace over essentially the whole HF band from one megahertz to 31 megahertz. I'm about to enter the step, which is 50,000 hertz. Press enter, gives a summary of what we put in, and then it gives you uh, three options, essentially. Escape will abort the whole operation. Go back and start over if you miskeyed something, for example. Uh, the difference between Control-R and Alt-R, uh, Alternate-R, have to do with the, the spooling. Uh, we will spool to a log file all the data that's generated by the scan, so that it's available. Uh, if you hit Control-R, if that log file with that name already exists, uh, it'll give you a warning, but it won't overwrite it. It's protected. If you, if you use the alternate R thing, it'll overwrite it. Whether it's there or not, it'll, it'll clear it and rewrite it. Once you, well, here we showed we hit the control R, and here's the trace that came out, showing you the trace for the 40-meter uh, uh, filter. Hey, Dave. Dave. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is George. Um, um, I want to be sure that we keep an eye on the time. There's a lot of good slides to go through here, and uh, we're not even halfway through, but that's okay. Um, I don't think the, the I think it's probably most important at some of these blue screen slides to show that there's a sequence of data entry that will get you to a certain result. Um, starting from the main menu, going through uh, specifications or data entry type of uh, screen, and then maybe even a subscreen for additional uh, limits, and then ultimately get into, in this case here, a display apparently of a low-pass filter um, that shows you from a scale of uh, 0 dB up at the top down to um, maybe about 54 minus, minus 58 dB in the bottom. Um, you might want to mention about the relative nature of the readings here, how it is still very useful to us. And then in, future, in the future uh, slides that we've got coming along here, not as much go through the step-by-step -step of what key enters and what gets you to what screen, but kind of the, the results or what the, the purpose of each of these different sequences are.
Yeah, I'm going to go through it in a little more detail here to start with. Um, there's actually two main modes that we operate in when we're uh, operating with the PHSNA system. This being one of it, and this, this display that we show here of the low-pass filter, the low-pass filter is what I use for most of the examples here. And it just shows the minimum and maximum reading. It also picks off the, uh, the minus 3 dB point and the frequency that's at. That, that level, the, the minus 3 dB can be adjusted. Some filters are classified with minus 6 dB. If you're doing a filter that you're going to filter the output of a, trans, of a QRP transmitter with, you're interested in the 43 dB point. Uh, so you can set that. There's an editing function to set that, and that'll put the crosshairs where you want. The, uh, the firmware can recognize four different waveform patterns. Uh, this is a low-pass filter. also recognizes a high-pass filter, band-pass filter, and a notch filter. For band-pass and notch, it gives you two 3 dB, minus 3 dB points, which is, that's why this one says first. There'd be a second one for those. Anyway, that's uh, basically using the menu mode. Second mode is we, we emulate, uh, I think I mentioned the, the, the spreadsheet, uh, where, where the uh, PHSNA can access an uh, Excel spreadsheet through a, uh, a macro and, and can extract information from given cell positions within the, the spreadsheet. We emulate that here. This has a big advantage in that you set it all up and use it over and over. These are really macros. So you, if, you, if you look at the next one here, you can see the setup. This is just the name. You notice that's the name that came up when, when the plot came out. Uh, here you can name the, uh, the file that, that the results are going to be uh, spooled to. Uh, before we had a common log file when we were using the menu scheme, but here each, each one of these. You can have up to 14 of these macros stored in the double EEPROM, and they're accessed using the function keys. This one here, we're doing the same, we have all the same parameters in here. Uh, notice up above it says edit. This is the edit screen, so you, you can edit all these functions. You hit enter, and that saves it in double EEPROM. Then you, you access it. In this case, it was F1, the function key 1. You hit that again, and it starts starts that, and the, and the PHSNA firmware goes out and catches this information off the, quote, uh, spreadsheet, unquote, and then the, as the data is transferred, it's shown here. It's shown on a lot on the uh, on a couple lines here. Uh, I cut off scrolling because that takes too long, and so this the second line here just keeps getting overwritten. Once it completes, it stops, and and uh, we we get the same plot we had before. Now I, I mentioned one of the advantages of using this is that you can repeatedly use the thing without going through all the uh, the, the the give and take on on using the menu. And while they timed out, Dave, I can mention that even though these screens sound kind of uh, or look maybe a little formidable and so many screens and number one, you can see the data an awful lot. You can see the data an awful lot more clear, of course, in the actual handheld unit. The key entry and navigating these screens becomes pretty easily understood as you're going through it and using it. Further, um, again, and, and very much to Dave's credit and, and technical documentation capabilities, we have a heck of a manual for this thing. So if, uh, if there's ever a question about one function or one key or one field that is being entered, there's a, there's a great set of documentation on this thing. Dave's done a great job on that. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Okay. As I was saying, we, we, hitting the space bar will repeat it. In the upper right-hand corner of, of the plot area, you see the zero one on the first one. That, that means that's plot one. On the second, the next screen there, we show zero five. That means it's been plotted five times. 
Uh, each time you hit the space bar, it'll lay down another plot over here. When it did the fourth one, I put my hand over it, and that's why you can see that yellow one. I, I just sort of grabbed the filter trying to get it to move because all the rest of them were right over each other. Uh, and so well, one of the neat places you could use this is a lot of people put, uh, you know, trimmers in their in their filter design and they can sit there and, and here you, you can sit there and manipulate that and do another trace and you you not only see the new output but you can compare it to the old output right directly there um, the third mode we have is the ds mode or dos mode uh, dos mode if you would and these are just some functions for uh, uh, for managing the the files on the uh, on the sd uh, sd card uh, we run through this, we get, shows you how to get into it there. When you go into, into DOS mode, the first thing it does is it shows you a list of uh, all the files that are in, listed in the first sector of the, uh, of the current directory. Uh, this one is also showing touchscreen, uh, how it uses. If, here we touch the uh, lpf.csv, which if you remember, that's, that's what the previous two examples were saving to. Uh, touch, and then it shows a list of all the, all the uh, DOS commands that are available. Here we just want to do a power plot, so we would touch the plot P. And here it, it put up then the, the, the command with the file name as a parameter for it on the command line up above. And then it asks you if you want to continue. You hit yes, and it just plots what was in that file. So this is the way you can recall uh, whatever is there uh, from a previous run. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, uh, there's, there's a number of other commands in there. Some of them are, are similar to, uh, to the old, if you remember, the MS-DOS systems. Um, one that's a little unique is this SDLD command, which allows you to uh, reload the firmware out of, uh, right, right from the SD card. So you, you don't have to use that special, a special programmer or anything. So, so, so if I just were to kind of recap here and get, give people a chance to catch their breath with all these screens and so on, essentially what you have here is a terminal that you hold in your hand that has the ability to accept parameters that you would set up in order to command a frequency to be generated and ultimately for the, um, the instrument, either itself or a combination with uh, the PHSNA or the, uh, the, the computer, to, um, to compute the, the response and determine the behavior of the device under test. In addition, as exemplified in the DOS, screen, DOS mode screens, there are a bunch of different capabilities in this handheld computer kind of thing that allows you to read files, update the software in the field, um, do a dump, things that we normally did in the DOS world, dump a, a file to the display uh, to be able to, um, uh, there's an Etch-a-Sketch mode where you have an ability to play with and test the um, uh, the touch panel um, <clears throat> input device and uh, just kind of follow the dots and whatever, see if, uh, you know, make different designs on your on your screen. You can test the SD card. To, and there's just a lot of different capabilities that are kind of into the terminal as a normal com handheld computer might uh, might offer. So you've kind of rounded the whole functions and given a lot of flexibility to um, the instrument that we can grow upon. Right. Well, that's what we've tried to do. Um, does anybody have any questions on these? These are just the basic things that were in the NAT. Now, this functionality has been preserved, you know, through the uh, the evolution here. Somebody there? Oh, yeah, Arnie, do you have a question? Okay, you, you keep um, you're hitting your push to talk switch, or your um, your noise, your voice actuated uh, microphone is is tripping, so that was interrupting us a little bit here. That's all. Uh, go ahead, Dave. Okay. 
But anyway, this functionality is carried all through. But but what we really are aim, aiming for now is the uh, what's in the next slide, which has eliminated the external pieces from the PHSNA network. And we've uh, sort of sucked in the, uh, the the power meter. The original NA, uh, NAT design, the PC board design, George had the foresight of putting in the connector for the DDS-60. And, and so we activated that. Uh, we went through a, uh, an intermediate phase, which we call the NACT, N-A-C-T, Network Analyzer Controlling Terminal, in which case it still had the external uh, power meter. But then when we went, came to version 4, we brought in the power meter itself. And in the end, you can see we're doing the, the, the scan on the 40-meter uh, uh, a low-pass filter here in the photograph on the side here, you can see there's there's nothing attached except the filter itself attached to the uh, to the NAT. The uh, the next shows the block diagram. The the uh, the heavy lines show what was added. The DDS60, of course, was put in there. Uh, the two uh, BNC additional BNC connectors for them. We bought the RF power meter in, and then we also since we brought the power meter in and had a little more control over it, uh, we also and we know there's a problem in calibrating this thing. Uh, thanks to uh, to Joe, we we got a couple of articles that described how to use a square wave to calibrate this particular power meter, and so we incorporated that circuit in here. So this there's a third BNC connector in there where we 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 learned how to uh, to uh, calibrate this thing using a square wave. A square wave is a lot easier to generate with a microcontroller, and so we generate a square wave, and so you can calibrate this thing pretty pretty accurately. We for, for a number of reasons we decided on a 3 dBm uh, square wave level. Uh, nice thing about square wave is you can actually measure the average power in it with a, no more than a DMM and a simple uh, RC network, and so that's what we did. We also found the uh, the power meter. Uh, there was a power meter that was done. Well, the power meter that was in the PHSNA is basically the same one that comes out of the uh, electronic measurements for RF design. You know, kind of the the holy grail of uh, the stuff we do. And the power meter, uh, the power meter design was also done by a fellow named Dick Faust, K9IVB, who happens to live in my neighborhood down here. And there's a, a link uh, to his information on it. And he had a uh, a, a uh, design, a project that he released to everybody through uh, an outfit called OSH Parks. And if you look, those purple boards, that's the characteristics of OSH Parks. The, the, the purple boards actually used to be one. Uh, time out, Dave. Okay, I'm back. I should be watching the, the screen. It probably goes dark when I do. Anyway, as I was saying, the, the OSH Park boards are purple. Uh, I cut it in half to make it fit. But you can order these things. Uh, go online. If you follow that link, it tells you, uh, Dick tells you how to order these things. And you can get three of them for, for $8, which is a heck of a deal if you for prototype quantities. Anyway, this is the way I just uh, used double-sided tape to attach it here. We, we mounted the two BNC connectors and uh, wound up with the full-blown SNA. This particular picture doesn't have the... Um, uh, the um, the power calibration circuit on it. If it did, there would be another BNC connector right, right below, right right below right. it. Uh, sorry, oh, sorry, to, sorry. To, sorry to interrupt, Dave. I just wanted to kind of recap so this becomes digestible. I guess now what we're looking at then in these uh, two printed circuit boards, of course, 
are the original NAT, is this the original NAT uh, circuit board with additions that Dave has been describing as we go along here. The purple boards are for the RF input, and uh, there's the BNC uh, connector on uh, the two BNC connectors were added to the basic NAT board. And on the bottom side, you see a connector there and some, uh, some extra wiring for the DDS60 card. So by adding the DDS60 signal generator card and the OHS, uh, that uh, the purple boards for the RF input, we've now extended the capability of the basic NAT that, uh, that many, many guys have, have gotten that board. And by adding it, they can incrementally add the capabilities that we're talking about here as far as stimulating that low-pass filter in the picture that was above and reading this response and getting it directly onto the screen. I might also mention too, Dave, or underscore your point about the PowerCal. Um, a, a way cool extra capability that that, um, that you provided in this design is the ability to um, provide that power cal circuit, which is used to ultimately set the level of the DDS to a precise known level, as you said. Uh, uh, well, we set it to a certain level, and then ultimately that can become for your bench a known RF, precise known RF level output that you might want to be able to use elsewhere in the bench. So in other words, in addition to the ability, of course, to stimulate a device under test, a filter or a crystal with a known signal such that you can get a, a good comparison on the output for that device, you also have the ability to generate a known, a very precise RF level that can be used on the bench. Is that about right, Dave? Yeah. Right. In fact, the articles that we read about using the square wave calibrator, he mentioned another a number of other devices where you could use this for calibrating them also, you know, other other devices. Um, now, it was very interesting. And uh, that's essentially what we got. Is, does anybody have any questions on anything up to what we've done here? I might be Sorry, I might mention that we're going to get into some really cool things at this point here. The slides remaining are the applications, the different things that can be done with the SNA or a combination of the NAT, NSA, uh, SNA, um, and, uh, and that's also very useful for the bench. Go ahead, Dave. All right, we're not NSA here, we're SNA. The, uh, since we now have control over the uh, over the power meter and have a way to calibrate it, uh, I thought, well, why not we just put a, a QRP power meter in, which is something that's uh, kind of, I found hard to find. You know, from from 20 to 20 kilowatts, it's easy to find them, but for for a lower power, they're they're hard to find. Anyway, uh, so what I did was I implemented this this power meter, uh, which uh, you can use um, attenuators. To uh, to change the range of the thing, that the basic one runs from uh, uh, 20 dBm to minus 70 dBm. In this particular case, I've shown adding a uh, a 10 dBm attenuator, which moves everything up 10. Uh, so if if you're up to 30 dBm, that's one watt on the top end. If you go to a, uh, a 20 a 20 dB attenuator, then then you're up to uh, 10 watts at the upper limit, and so you're getting something useful where you can measure the power. Um, of your QRP rig. Now, up to now, we've talked about uh, devices that are pretty much standalone. We, the, the device under test, we just pump the uh, the RF in, the raw RF into it, and, and read the power out. But you, there's a number of simple devices that you can add test fixtures that will uh, expand what you can do. One of the first ones we've got here is a return loss bridge. Uh, very simple schematic. It's another little bifiler. 
transformer on a little toroid core and three 50 ohm resistors. I cheated and used 51 ohms. They work fine. And three uh, BNC connectors. And essentially what this does is the, the RF is, is sent out to a resonating device under test like an antenna. And then the, uh, the bridge actually separates out the reflected from what's, what's sent out. And what you get back is a return loss. And from that, it's possible to compute uh, the VSWR. And so you can do this for, uh, for checking, testing your antennas, for example. Here I show what uh, the slides show how to set up the, uh, the macros for doing that. And then here's an example of, of what it looks like. This is a, a, a sweep of my 20-meter uh, vertical antenna which I have here, and the, the, you get a, with this, in this case, you get a double uh, plot. The white one is the actual return loss, which I have as a negative number. Most people have it as positive. And then the green one is the VSWR, and if you notice on the right side, of the, the scale there has the VSWR listed. My particular antenna had a 1.02 VSWR at, at resonance, which is 14.12, about 1.24 years. The screen that we're shown is different than what we had before, uh, and, and that's because we're, before we showed the data that was going back and forth between the PHS and Time on it, Dave. Before we showed the, uh, showed the, uh, uh, the data that was going back and forth between the PHS and a controller and us, but we don't have that anymore. So we came up with this, this other screen format that's really a signal generator format. And there is a mode that you can put this guy in and use it just strictly as a signal generator. And you'll, you, can, you can manually control the frequency, if you would. And then it'll, it'll also uh, take readings, if you want. But anyway, we use that same screen here. You can see some of the numbers on the frequency are kind of blurred, and that's because this was taken during the actual scan. And so that's what you wind up with. Uh, any questions on that? Thank you for staying with me so far. I've got one more. Uh, if any of you have ever designed crystal filters, you know that you need a batch of filters that match um, some characteristics, especially the frequency. This is a, another fixture that you can, very simple. It's got a couple bifiler windings and a few resistors. And uh, you put the crystal in there. The, the main function of this uh, of the fixture is to uh, shift the impedance. You know, the crystal typically has a 12.5 ohm impedance, and uh, we're running at 50 ohms uh, on the input and output. Anyway, there's ways you can set this up. And when you run the, the sweep, if you look at the, at the pictures down here, the first one, you see this little yellow window in here. And that's the motional uh, parameters, which is the series resistance, capacitance, and inductance. It also shows the quality factor, the Q of the crystal. Up on top lists you, uh, you know, the maximum, of course, would be the resonant point of the crystal, the 3 dB down points, and it lists the, the bandwidth of the crystal. It's 30 hertz at the 3 dB point. If you run consecutive uh, plots of this, you'll get a plot like we did in the last one, all these different colored plots. This one was done, uh, I was looking for six crystals within uh, 35 hertz frequency spread to, uh, to, build it, to use to build the uh, PHSNA uh, measurement receiver. And this was a batch of 30 crystals at 50 cents each from, uh, from Mauser. And this is the plot we got. Once it was this in this mode, it is actually storing the parameter, the, uh, the the resonant frequency and the motional parameters in the file. It's not storing the plot data. And so now we go back and uh, what I did here was I, I took the this is the x.csv file 
And if you look at the next screen, you can see this is the data that came in. There is a marker, X1 through X30, which shows the crystals so we can keep track of them. You cut and paste that into an Excel spreadsheet. Use the uh, columns or the data to columns function in there to spread them out. I added another uh, um, another column in here with the equation in there that compared the crystal frequency of this line with the one five below it. So that's that gives you the uh, difference in the six crystals. And then once you fill that in, after you've sorted the uh, sorted the crystals by frequency. You go down and look for the uh, the lowest number in there. In in this particular case, it came up with eight. If you look at the bottom, there shows the spreadsheet. So we had eight. So so we had eight crystals uh, within the the, the spec. Well, excuse me, we had six crystals with a frequency spread of only eight. Another group of 13, 14, 20, and the and the the culls, if you would, of the thing came out with a, a spread of 128. So. And to check this out, the, the last pictures we have here show the uh, uh, that that board is is the, uh, the the filter part of the PHSNA measurement receiver, and I've got that hooked up. And the, we did a scan of that, and, and you can see from the picture, it wound up with a uh, crystal filter with a bandpass of 348 hertz. And this is without any tuning. There's a number of extra pads on the board to to uh, to tune it, so if you want to fine tune the results. But anyway, uh, very quickly, that's the end <laughs> of what I had. I won't go into the next slide unless somebody really wants to. Uh, back to you, George. Okay, Dave. What I was going to say in summarizing a lot of that, uh, what you did with the, with the crystals is, is like really, really interesting. Um, but at a high level, I think what you did is you got the motional parameters and other parameters were stored to a data file on the SD card, right? And then ultimately you took that SD card or exported the data into your PC to do the crunching that you saw in the other spreadsheets. So your instrument, the SNA in this case here, or the NAT SNA, was able to collect the, the data and actually display the curves and so on. But then you took that data off of the uh, off of the instrument and started playing it around, playing around with it in uh, Excel in order to make your selections and to understand your data even better, right? Yeah, that's correct. I didn't have to take the SD card out though, because I have a one of the DOS commands will upload the file to to the serial interface, and what I did here was uh, upload it into a uh, a terminal emulator, and then once it's in the buffer for the terminal emulator, it's easy just to cut and paste it into Excel. All right. Oops. Um, yeah. All right. That, that's great. What I'd like to do sometime is somebody else trying to talk. Yeah, it's Bruce George. I have a question for uh, Dave there. Oh, please go ahead. Thank you. Um, Dave, so obviously you were able to analyze a number of crystals uh, fairly quickly. And uh, and then, as you say, via serial interface, you uploaded that into the uh, uh, laptop or computer, as the case may be, and uh, was able to import that into a spreadsheet. What uh, what serial speed were you running at at that point? How, how quickly did that uh, data transfer over? Well, actually, the the the, uh, the data was very small. The, that particular data set is small. It's just the data that you see here. In this particular mode, we we were not transporting the uh, the, the plot, the, you know, the, the data that was plotted. What we were doing was just the stuff that's in that little yellow box you see down there, plus the uh, resonant frequency on the thing. So there wasn't much data at all. Uh, but the serial interface, I always run it as 38.4. You know, it, it took, took more time to key in the commands to make it transfer than the actual transfer took. And then it was just a simple cut and paste out of the uh, out of the buffer, um, the the uh, the um, 
the terminal emulator buffer and cut that and paste it into the Excel spreadsheet. So that, that, nothing took very much time at all. Okay, very good. Thank you. Yeah, well, that makes sense that you're not you're not actually transferring a lot of bytes, if you will, when when you're just talking about that relatively small amount of data. Okay, one more thing, completely off topic. Off topic. But at the beginning of the slide presentation here, we see what looks like uh, your name and call sign uh, below a flag, and uh, then there's uh, there's George, uh, what looks like a a stylized flag at all. Perhaps he can comment on that afterwards. But I'm just I I can't help my curiosity being a student of uh, geography and uh, and so forth. Is that an actual uh, country flag? And if so, which one? The flag over my name is the Arizona state flag, and we have a lot of sun in Arizona, so it's obvious why that looks like that. The one over George's name is the uh, uh, the Maryland state flag. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> You'd have to ask George. <laughs> okay, very fine. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your explanations. Uh, it's been wonderful. So uh, uh, back to you guys. <laughs> good, good questions, Bruce. Sharp eye too. Um, I wanted to get Jim to maybe comment here just a just a, a, a second. Um, Jim, could you mention just a few words about the measurement receiver, why and what and how and all of that stuff? Jim and five IB. No audio, Jim. I seem to recall you having this problem before. I, I forgot what the solution was. Uh, Dave, do you want to mention just real quickly the measurement receiver and and uh, what it's what it's there for, where it came from? Dave. Yeah, I'm back. We're not we're not abandoning you. Um, the measurement receiver is kind of a, I guess a poor ham spectrum analyzer. Uh, you you feed in a, a standard frequency and then. Um, well, actually, the, the control frequency comes into a mixer along with some broadband signal, and you, you sweep through it into the mixer, and you pick out the uh, – um, you have filters following it, so you're only interested in, say, in our case, uh, around 3.7 uh, megahertz off the uh, – uh, the base frequency, and as you, you as you sweep through the thing, you measure the power um, the power levels, and you wind up plotting essentially the spectrum across that across this unknown signal coming in. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm wondering, Jack uh, W0FNQ, do you have any more background? I forgot who was the originator of this, and it might have been somebody here. I just can't recall. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, just fine. Okay, um, you know, um, I'm not sure where the where the uh, the original started, other than with the uh, experimental methods for RF design handbook. And um, I know uh, Jim and the others started working on a, a circuit board way back when. I did it. Uh, uh, I did my own uh, circuit uh, board for a measurement receiver to use with the VHS NA uh, about a year or so ago and uh, used directly out of the experimental methods uh, book and it, it worked pretty well then uh, Jim just recently produced this new board uh, that's uh, that's got some extra things in it like a, a diplexer for uh, uh, the filter uh, coming out of it for the uh, for the uh, a little better selectivity uh, on the system and it, I put one of those together too it, it's actually uh, probably a bit better than the one I put together. So it's, um, I think his, uh, the ideas, uh, I don't remember who, whether it was Jim or where the original idea came for putting together the board, but it was a really a good one. Good one. All right. 
It did come from EMRFD, um, Experimental Methods for RF Designers. And um, if I, I'll find a link and put it here. I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, Jim and you guys did provide the board, um, the layout, and uh, um, for the purposes of, of additional testing capability and use with crystals and, and so on and so forth. And that's what Dave used here in some of his measurements to illustrate the uh, good selection process and a good use of the good use of crystals that are well, uh, um, well, uh, that are all the same values. Okay. Let's wrap it up for tonight. We, this is now going on to the, uh, past the point where we wanted to, and, um, we're going to ask for some general questions opening up here, uh, just at the very end, and then we'll close it down real quick. But, um, tonight we kind of went through some instruments up at the top of the, um, of the session that, uh, are available in kit form or in homebrew form for like less than $500 or so. Um, we also then went, um, through a really nice design here from Dave on the SNA and the evolution of the SNA. And, um, um, Dave, I, I guess I'll, I'll mention that, uh, we have um, in prototype test right now a single board re a revision to the uh, the original NAT board that uh, encompasses all the different circuits that you've been mentioning. The, of course, uh, the uh, RF input, uh, the, the log amp uh, detector, the um, the DDS circuitry um, as a plug-in, the power cal, um, and all of the latest enhancements onto a single board. No mods are required, and that uh, is kind of like the next step for those who might have been interested in the NAT is the SNA, which retains, as Dave said, all of the capabilities of the NAT and then uh, and adds a whole bunch more that we've been talking about here tonight. So for a whole lot less than, um, you know, what even some of these instruments up at the top of the show we were talking about, you can have a really fun measurement instrument and extensible, um, always getting some new features uh, for your bench within the SNA if you're so interested in, in that. So keep your eye out for that. That'll be uh, kind of be coming along in some of the discussion groups real soon. And... And then ultimately, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be able to get into that. So let's open it up for some questions here, if there are any, and then we'll close down this uh, the show. Okay, Jim, do you maybe have your audio now? Let's see if it's working. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, yes it can. works. <laughs> Outstanding. No, I just wanted to comment that uh, uh, the boards for the measurement receiver all out of, uh, but probably there'll be enough interest to, to get some more made uh, here in the future. About the only boards that I have remaining are some of the uh, PHSNA ones that, that work with the DDS-60 module, have maybe a dozen or so of those. And in a couple of weeks, I should have another dozen or more of the, uh, the 8307 power meter boards. But frankly, I'm waiting for our version four of the uh, uh, the new NAT. Uh, that's going to be uh, the bee's knees. <laughs> the bee's knees. All right. Well, that's soon going to be available as soon as Dave and I continue fleshing it out and making sure that things are just right. And uh, we'll publish all the availability data for all you home brewers and experimenters out there. Just continuing the fun that you and the PSHNA group started, uh, Jim and Jack and uh, I can't remember, uh, was it Charlie? Who's the other, your cohort? He actually designed or came up, did the original, uh, um, started playing with the measurement receiver. Who's your other friend there that that's, that um, works with you guys there, Jack and Jim? Yeah, that was Jerry, W5JH, and then Nick, WA5BDU, did most of the software work. Gotcha. Okay, I'm sorry for forgetting their names. 
but uh, you guys really spawned an entire entire big thread of, of interesting home brewing and experimentation that uh, that we were happy to, to contribute to along the way here. Um, I also might mention in my final comment that we skipped over, I skipped over, the background. Um, we normally, in our chat with the designer sessions, our normal formula is to talk a little bit about, introduce a topic, and provide some background, um, very high-level uh, theory, and the whys and wherefores of you know how a given technique or instrument evolved. And then we get into the feature article project uh, kit analysis or whatever. That's the formula. Well, we did the intro. We did the other instruments in the field, but I skipped over mainly because of time. Uh, the the theory. Read through that. I found it fascinating when researching this for the show tonight that there was a tremendous amount of material out there. If you just search, do a Google search on SNA or Scalar Network Anal Analyzer, and that'll bring up all sorts of background info and great great links and papers concerning scalar network analysis and vector network analysis, which is like the big daddy, the big mama. Uh, compared to the scalar stuff. So um, a lot more information can be gained in a vector network analyzer. Um, but uh, some great papers from um, Agilent and HP, and I urge you to kind of look at that if you're at all interested because it, it answers a lot, of, a lot of great questions for me along the way. Okay, so um, Joe had to retire for the day, and I wish to thank uh, Dave very much for bringing us through the design and uh, kind of guiding us along the way. We have links at the bottom of the page of the reference section for the uh, for the uh, the website, uh, the NAT SNA, the NAT SNA website. You can definitely check out all of the information there. We've got all the software, the documentation. Uh, pictures, build-up, instructions, assembly guide, you name it. So you can have yourself a ball if you're so inclined. And it's a really good group on the SNA group, um, Yahoo group, and there's a really good group on the PHSNA group that are knowledgeable about this. So if you have any questions, of course, you can ask along there. So meanwhile, uh, thank you very much all for attending. And for you podcast listeners, if you got to the end here, thank you for that too. It's a long show tonight, but it was really well worth the, uh, the effort. We will keep this down to an hour and 15 minutes at most in the future. That's our target sweet spot and we will keep to it but uh, we'll say 73 for now from joe and 2 cx and myself george and 2 apb and uh, thank you once again for attending chat with the designers we'll see you sometime in early april in about four weeks or so with the uh, introduction of the elmer 101 series featuring the sw 40 plus transceiver or maybe as we spoke about earlier maybe it'll be this soft uh, the sw 30 plus um good night all <laughs>